Hey, I'm Nate Mahalovich. I'm the founder of XS App, and you're listening to the App Guy Podcast. The App Guy Podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. This is the podcast where we help you, you as the indie app developer or you're interested in apps and you want to know what this world is all about. So my job here is to to help you help you get acquainted by getting some of the best experts that I can find from wherever they may be. And uh, today I have discovered a a fantastic uh, app and a fantastic uh, founder of this app. Uh, His name is Mike Klanak, and he is the CEO and founder of Gripo. Now, Gripo is a really cool app. They've also got a website as well, if you just uh, Google that. But uh, it's a really cool app that helps you, uh, puts power back to you for complaining. And so I'm really looking forward to understanding about the launch of this app and, and all the things that you've done Mike to get to get this app to market. So welcome to the App Guy podcast. Hey, good morning. So Mike, it's great that you can join us. And uh, first, firstly, it'd be great to know, um, you know, just a little bit about you and your background. Can you take a few minutes to tell us, uh, you know, what got you involved in creating an app, and uh, you know, a little bit about about your background and personal journey? Sure, sure. So my name is Michael Klanick. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Gripo. And my background has always been in um, software development and the delivery of large-scale software systems to, uh, and the background is particularly in higher education. So CRM systems, ERP systems, sorry for all the acronyms, but um, that's really what it's about. And we've been, I've been doing this for 10 years and um, have a similar group of friends around me that when you're kind of developing in the corporate world, you're oftentimes working within a box and you're, you're de- you know, developing and delivering the same solution over and over again. So when you get home, you kind of want to do anything creative or innovative. And that has kind of led me to um, a, a career that also has always had some exciting side projects. And I've had a few projects that have grown larger user bases and I kind of go by my own personal experiences and develop a project around a problem that I run into in my own personal life. And that's really taken me to, to Gripo, which, which originated out of a, you know, a personal experience about a year ago, um, a little over a year ago where I had gotten a set of, uh, steak knives, high quality steak knives for a holiday and a, uh, uh, two months later I'm cutting a pizza and the thing snaps in half. And, you know, it's just, just a really bad experience, but I was so frustrated as kind of stressful time at work. And I decided to, uh, just, just toss them. And my wife, um, always the, the more logical half told, tells me, you know, you can't do that. You can't just, you know, toss those things. Um, so I, I, this led me to like a a two month odyssey where I was, you know, fighting the customer service battle and, uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And is uh, the company still going now, or have they? Uh, you know, is it is it uh, a company that's still operating? Sure, it is. <laughs> it is now. Interestingly, they're, they're kind of a the, the knives themselves have proven out to be completely faulty. Um, and in fact, it made several press outlets. I won't mention the brand name, but everybody would recognize it. 
Um, supposedly made in Germany, actually made in China. Uh, right, <laughs> <so>. okay. A <laughs> bit of a scam going on there. Well, that, that is wonderful. I'm sh- we're definitely going to get more into that story because uh, I just love the stories of how these ideas come from everyday life and people listening right now. You know, they could be... Uh, facing a problem or just having a personal gripe like yourself and it just turns out to be a great idea and disruptive and you can do something about it but before we we go down that journey what I'd love to know is uh, so are you uh, is this a part-time project are you still working now for a corporation no I'm I'm full-time on Gripo um, and have been for for you know about a year and uh, we, we have a team of about nine now. Um, they all have different levels of involvement, and um, we consider about six of them co-founders, and they're really part-time guys who work in the evening. Um, some of them, almost you could almost consider them half-time with the amount of work that they output. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm full-time. I think you need to have at least a member of your team at this early stage full-time um, you know, and, and you know, you you really got to have someone there to do all the take all those calls, uh, continue to push the project forward, and it means you're serious. You know, when someone's full time. Yeah. So a big chunk of the Appster tribe that are listening to this right now don't like their job. They're working for a corporation. Uh, they're looking for ways to get out. And app development is that perhaps that you know pursuit of a passion that they have. Can you talk us through the, what, what it felt like then going through that period of your life where you were working, um, I'm guessing you were in a secure uh, salaried sure. job, and, and how scary was that? You know, Perhaps take us through the example of how just how nervous you must have been to, to go in and quit your job and uh, start on this, uh, this pursuit of this app and this app idea. It's, it's extremely nerve-wracking when you actually make the decision to leave. Um, because it's, it's just, it's, it's new territory, it's change, um, it's uncomfortable. That being said, the, the process itself, you, you start to realize if you're the type of person who, who's really put the thought through and, and, and into becoming an entrepreneur, you know, hopefully you, you've made the financial arrangements necessary. You're ready for what's ahead of you in terms of, you know, you're going to be grinding it out a little bit for a period of time. And that's, that's a good thing. It's going to, it's going to force you to, to lean out and, and, and prioritize your life. And, you know, the, the end goal here is obviously a, you know, a, a huge reward. And that's, that's really what you're shooting for. And then look at the end of the day, um, you can always go back and get another corporate job. There's always going to be those jobs available. I think it really just to, to kind of sum it up and I'll, I'll just butcher this quote right now because I'm on the spot, but there's something along the lines of, you know, a Christopher Columbus type quote where if you're not afraid to let the land disappear from the horizon, you'll never find new countries. You know what I mean? You know, you'll never explore new areas. So you got to be willing to cross that threshold where you can't turn back that point of no return. And, and that means quitting your job often. You know, that uh, just made me think that actually quitting your job is not as risky as a lot of people make out because you know, the realities that we often set ourselves are our own perceptions, our own stories in our head. And it's not a, it's like you just said there, it's not a complete uh, decision that's not reversible. You know, you could always go back if it fails, you can go back and get another job and it's just a good learning experience. But many of us think, oh, it's a career, you need this uh, very um, organized path along your career. And if, you know, a, a potential employee sees that you've left to go and start a project, then, mm-hmm. you know, it, it may dent your career. But ironically, I think the reverse. So it, it's interesting that, yeah, I guess it's not so risky. 
Yeah, and there's and there I think in, increasingly there's a lot of companies that like startup experience on a resume. It's not like you're going to have a huge gap in your resume where there's nothing there for a year. It's it's I took a year to, you know, try to in, do something innovative and build a company and I'm I was leading it and I was managing a team and that's great experience. I mean, that startup mentality it's something I think corporations are often looking for. Um the people that are self-starters that can you know, don't need constant management to make something happen. Yeah, that was um, when I had my successful job in the city. That was the management style initially was like that. They just had this. Uh, actually, I think it came down from Jack Welsh, uh, the CEO of, of GE, who uh, sure. basically had this philosophy that just get good people and stay out their way. And uh, obviously he was quite successful. <laughs> and, uh, um, so, okay, so you ended up with uh, this great idea. Your life changed uh, the moment you cut this pizza and your knife broke. <laughs> so uh, how did you go about uh, launching? Or, well, let's start with develop, developing the app. Did you do the coding yourself? Did you have to then look for a co-founder who had coding skills? You know, to talk us through then the, the progress from that point. So luckily I had a, a group of friends that I had always been kind of doing these innovative side projects with. I mean, and I, they mainly came out of those previous, you know, job experiences, corporate jobs. And I, I usually, we would pitch ideas to each other informally, shoot them down nonstop. And then every once in a while, an idea would resonate. And what we try to do is we try to start to do some research around the idea. And I think that's a, a very, you know, as an app, um, as an app, you know, guy, a guy that's come up with a few ideas and actually developed them, people constantly pitch you and they ask, say, well, what do you think of this? What, what should I do? And the first thing I tell them is go and do some research and see if someone's already done it. Don't waste your time. I mean, if someone has done it much better and that's not to say you can't, you know, do, you know, create a better mousetrap. It's, but it's very hard. I mean, so go out and do that research. And, and nine out of 10 times, that idea has already been done. So we shoot down a lot of ideas. If an idea sticks, what we do is we start to do some research around it and we start to build a proof of concept. So we sit down and usually for us, that's uh, via the web. Because because we all, we, our, our background is in the web. For us, it's a little bit easier to push forward with a concept there. So we'll start to build the tool set in the web and maybe run it through, you know, 50 to 100 people. And that, you know, we would call that process building an MVP, like a minimum viable product. Oftentimes it's not even styled. It's just raw. It maybe has bugs in it. You just get it out there and then you bother your friends and family to try it and, and give really honest feedback and you try to collect it as best as you can. So that's what we did with Gripo. We, we built a, a web version and then we started, um, we started testing and 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 seeing if we could take it to another level of fidelity, and then that that really got us to the point where we started thinking about the apps. Because when you you know when you you move from the web to the app world, you have a whole new set of tools that you can leverage in the phone as opposed to on the web, uh, and that's really where it gets really exciting. You know those those tools are what makes mobile special the ability to you know maybe understand where your location is automatically or something like that well this is what makes the app special because i mean you know often we would come back from experiences that were negative and particularly restaurants or shops and then we'd have to wait till we get to the computer at home so remember to do that you know in the evening but now we are empowered with our phone wherever we may be and we have the ability to complain on the spot 
and have a gripe on the spot. So that I'm guessing that's a very unique feature for an app. It's it's absolutely uh, key to our offering. Is is with mobility you get convenience, and, and that's what it's all about. Um, now I'm not big on statistics, but I think that they help drive home the point sometimes. And and we have an organization here in the states called the Better Business Bureau, and it's an area where it's similar to Gripe, where you can submit complaints. It's a little bit antiquated. It's the old way of doing things, but you know, just to give you an idea, they do 117 million customer service um, complaints a year. Now that form takes like it, it takes ten minutes to even get started filling out your complaint, and you have to be on a computer. So you can imagine the amount of complaints and interactions you can have if you have it on a mobile device, where people can pull it out of their pocket when something is happening, and submit the gripe in under a minute. I mean, that's what we're shooting for here: is ultra convenience. Pull it on your phone, couple of clicks. You don't even have to, you know, search for the where, where to, you know, submit it. You just submit it on Gripo, and and you get the name of the business, the product, and a short description, and it's in. So that's that's the amazing thing about about the app world is convenience. I think you know you can just pull it out of your pocket anytime, anywhere. Well, Mike, this is great stuff because uh, I, I think in all the episodes we haven't gone into such detail about the actual uh, idea to uh, launch and the just the fact that you actually suggest researching the idea beforehand. Uh, we have had uh, guests who have talked about losing. $50,000 plus on an idea of an app that actually failed. And so it seems incredibly important now to, to work on that minimum, minimum viable product. And what a great idea to actually get it on the web initially. So you don't have to, you know, build a minimum viable product that is an app and, and have to go through the Apple review process or at least try all the hassle of getting it on somebody's phone. You can do, sure. you could do a web version. So are the people, the beta testers, are they, are they friends, family, or did you do some kind of, initial marketing uh, or Facebook ad kind of campaign to get people to the the website to become beta testers. Yeah, you're you're actually right. Um that's really what we did. We 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 decided to create a Facebook page. Now in retrospect, that's actually something I don't know if I would do exactly the same way. Um it served our purpose. We were able to use the Facebook page to invite friends and family, grow a small audience on the page, you know, using the invite function right on the page to let them know about what the idea is. And the idea, uh, luck, luckily enough for, for us, it resonated with enough people where they would give us a few minutes to take a small survey or, or check out our, our MVP. Um, I think though, if I was ever to do this again, I think I would also, as soon as possible, start setting up um, a landing page uh, that really has one purpose, and that's to collect an email address. Because we decided to go with Facebook, and and throughout this process, you know, Facebook is continually locking down the ability to speak with your audience. You actually have to pay to speak to your own followers. Yeah, that, we've heard a lot about that. There's been many a guest on this show who have talked about. I mean, one of the guests had three hundred thousand plus followers, and just said her experience with communicating with those those fans, those followers, was becoming almost impossible because of the algorithm changes. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's a, it's got pros and it's got cons, you know, Facebook, you, you have a really easy way to invite your friends to your page. You just click a button. And, you know, one of the things we do, if we ever wanted to grow our Facebook pages, we'll just ask, you know, some of our, our intern, our interns or, or supporters, if they could invite their friends and family to the page. It's really easy. It drives people in numbers. But again, the, the downside is that, 
when you just submit a post through your page, you're reaching maybe one-tenth, if you're lucky, of your followers because if you want more, you're going to have to buffer it with some payments, like a $5 boost to your post, something like that. So that's a really good idea then. So if you were to do it again, just to summarize, you would uh, possibly do the Facebook page, but get people to a landing page, which is a opt-in page, and then capture their uh, email addresses using all the tools that we we have. I know that there's MailChimp uh, and others that then would uh, give you an email list that can become the early beta testers. So you you have them as beta testers. How do you get the feedback from them on the web, is there some kind of web commenting system, or do you send regular surveys? Well, we used a we used SurveyMonkey, and we created a short. Um, I think it ended up being maybe five ten question survey um, about the product. Uh, really, really tried to like kind of laser focus it in because if you leave feedback open ended, it's it's really sometimes hard to pull out um, trends or, or things from it. So we we try to really measure it in a in a very um, systematic way, and SurveyMonkey ended up being, you know, perfect for us. I mean, it would get got us the results we needed to take the product to the next level. Uh, it also just helped us to justify the concept further. You know, one of the questions is always, "Do you like this? You know, would you use it?" Um, and and that was key. Now with Gripo, and not to complicate things further, we serve two two markets: your typical app user, but at the end of the day, our paying customer is oftentimes businesses. And if anything, that was the most difficult part for us: is trying to also measure what businesses thought. I mean, yeah, they yeah I was going to get to that actually, Mike, because I've written down here uh, to ask you about what retailers think of this. Now, obviously, from my early stages of thinking about this app, the obvious. Uh, uh, way to monetize it is to approach those retailers who have these complaints and just make them aware that, that you know they've got these complaints against them. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so how how does it work on the retail side? Yeah, so it, and it, and there's some really some unique challenges we run into there because of our name and because of I think some experiences that these retailers have had with other similar concepts. Um, they they tend to assume we are something that we're not. Um, the first thing, let me start by telling you something that we're not. We're not a company that charges people for their own data, and we're not a company that publicly ever puts negative feedback out there um, just to kind of force the business to work with us. That's not what we're about. Um, we're not a consumer advocate. Gripo actually provides you know a platform for, of communication for consumers and businesses. So what we do is we encourage our users when they're submitting a gripe to help us notify the business now. And we do that through social media. If the business is already working with with us, then the feedback goes directly to them. That's it. It just goes right to the company. And, you know, we've had some success to that end. So, you know, we're using our users to drive home the value of Gripo to the businesses. At the same time, our business tool set itself it can kind of stand on its own feet. Um, social care, as what I'm calling is like customer service through social media, is really, really needed right now. And, and the reason is that these are all new things. You have a big brand. You're getting feedback on Twitter whether you want it or not. And there's not a ton of tool set out there to handle it. And as you know, if, on, on, the, on the surface, you think Twitter, great. You know, that's a great way to get feedback. But it's really not always that great. It can be kind of a negative echo chamber where one person says, you know, I had a bad, you know, sandwich at the sub shop 
and then 10 other people say, hey, I had a bad sandwich too. And they're next thing you know, they're all, all their friends see it. Um, it can spiral out of control. So, so what we're saying is, you know, use Gripo. It, we can take that, that process private. We can do it in an organized way. Again, it's a free help desk and that's allowing us to get a lot of businesses in the door. Now, you know, it's a really, really, uh, low investment of time and effort to just get claimed on Gripo to start getting the feedback we collect. And over time, now that we have those relationships in place with these big brands, we start to offer more services to them. What a great idea as well, because, you know, many I've heard many stories where and we all have to appreciate as app developers, it sometimes is hard to get a customer to pay 69p for an app. <laughs> but, Absolutely. And actually monetizing an app is sometimes quite challenging, you know, with uh, the low uh, rates that you get with uh, advertising uh, and it just seems very sensible to have some disruptive way but clever way of uh, appealing uh, as a useful tool to the consumers but also uh, really appealing to businesses who have let's face it the money and yeah. uh, are willing to pay to help improve their brand. Absolutely I, I think having a defined revenue model is one of the things that yeah, I think app entrepreneurs often forget they just uh, there's there's a movie uh field of dreams i don't know if you've seen it um yeah, it's yeah. the basic you know like it and you, they will come and they will come yeah which is definitely not the case in the app world it's it's kind of if you build it they will not come unless you give them a a persuasive reason to and um i tell a lot of people that you think you you go out you do a competitive analysis of who else am i going to be fighting for that spot on a person's phone and and it's not just your competitors, it's all the other apps out there. You know, you have a limited amount of space on your phone for apps, you have a limited amount of time to learn apps. So just because your app maybe, you know, it, it works in the music category, you're not just competing against um, music apps, you're competing about against all of the other ones. So you gotta have a way to make money, you gotta have a persuasive argument uh, to, to get that download. Well, Mike, that is great content because one of the reasons why I set this podcast up to help my apps to tribe, the people listening right now, is that we wanted to get authentic, real, genuine stories from app developers and entrepreneurs like yourself because too often the press like hype up uh, the case for being an app developer and especially there's a bit of a myth out there that you do build it and they will come you know you just forget about the way to monetize your app just build it make it great then you know like all these stories that we hear the way to monetize it eventually will come to you but having that proof of concept from an early age I mean the, the way you monetize it may change over time but at least have a clear plan on how you eventually could could monetize the app I think that's a, a wonderful insight Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's something that I think that a lot of people learn the hard way. I mean, I did, I mean, that's really, I've had other projects and I think I didn't actually really believe that until it happens, you know, until you have a good idea and it just kind of fizzles because you didn't figure out how it was going to make money fast enough. Yeah. We've, we've interviewed many people who have done the same thing, you know, that it's just a learning experience. And that's again, why we love these chats with people that are doing it like yourself, because we can, we can learn from you. And uh, I think the, the biggest thing I'm taking away right now is the, have a minimum viable product, put it on the web, get feedback, use SurveyMonkey, which I'll put a link on the 
uh, website, theappguy.co, if you, you need to find that. Uh, and then uh, have a, a proof of concept and a business model before you start and uh, get get the thing right. So so launch day. Let's talk about launch day then, because that's the important thing. That's We've, we've talked through that with many of other startup founders and entrepreneurs. What was it like in the build-up to launch day? And did you have any specific strategies that you can share with us? Mm-hmm. It was hectic. Uh, you're, you're oftentimes... You're timing uh, several things at once, right? And you're you're doing um, a whole lot of different things, and it's really easy to kind of forget about something or let one piece fall to the wayside. So I'll give you an example. You know, you're you're obviously working on the app itself and making sure that it's ready to go. But you know, there's that whole submission process oh, yeah. at the app store, which is I'm sure people have their own. Um, horror stories about, you know, setting up a ton of press interviews and uh, this big launch date only to have their app not pass review. So I would say that if you communicate with, you know, Apple and in, in the case of iOS and you're respectful and you you're, this is a first time app and, you know, you're just fighting through those last issues to get um, submitted and re- reviewed. Be respectful and ask for a priority review. Um, they'll oftentimes do that to meet your launch date. Um, that was that was something that came up with us, and luckily we made it um, by the skin of our teeth, and we got it out the door. So, uh, so you know, Mike, yeah, you had a launch date, a specific launch date. We did, we did. Now, I, I for me, I called it a soft launch. I had definite launch activities planned: some press, some announcements, some things like that. But I wasn't about to say this is the you know the, the first and only launch of Gripo because you set yourself up, I think, for failure. Now, there, there's some strategy here to be aware of, right? If, if you crack a certain amount of momentum, you're going to do things like you're going to chart in the, in the app store. That's fantastic. If you chart in the app store, you go from you know, 10,000 users to 100,000 overnight. But the reality is most people don't chart unless you're going to be doing a significant amount of QA and preparation before and, 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 and a lot of press and a lot of hype, it's going to be very difficult to do. So we soft launched, meaning we made the launch date, we made it a big deal, but we realized that not charting is okay and it's going to allow us to improve our conversion before we hit some of those activities. So like Gripo has a homepage and Gripo has this feature where you share the complaint. And our conversion numbers there out of the gate weren't fantastic. So if, if we had gotten written up by a major press um, outlet like, say, TechCrunch, and they drove 10,000 users to the site that day, well, we would convert on a very small percentage of them. Now, if we wait and we can take the small amount of user feedback we get originally and move it from 10 to 50%, you can imagine how much more you can convert when you get that one shot on some of those press outlets. So it's a strategy that's you know it's unique to every app. It's unique to every entrepreneur. Um, I, I think you you kind of got to consider all of those things when creating your launch strategy. And did you approach uh, anyone with big lists to push out the message? I mean, because I'm, I'm guessing that your uh, landing page that was capturing the emails, uh, you probably didn't focus a lot on on having a big list before you launched. Mm-hmm. No, we focused mainly on social media. So that was the, the primary way we notified people. Um, we didn't pay anyone else. We didn't, we, 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 we really believe that you have to have a qualified user. Um, you know, 
garbage users, I, well, I shouldn't call them garbage users. I, what I mean by garbage user is, is someone who is the person who tries every single app and then cans it the next day. That's not good for your system. What you really want to do is deliver an app to somebody who will use it and find value in it. And that's hard. That's a targeted process. So we decided instead of going this mass blast all over, let's hit the people that we have relationships with and get them to use it. Again, wonderful insights, because I think too many of us do set our sights on the charts and we become addicted to where we are in the charts and because of the huge difference it can make in the download numbers. But what we're starting to learn, and I'm learning from this podcast, is that sometimes the average time in an app is probably the better focused number, the number to focus on than the number of downloads, because it means that your app is being wildly useful, which is what we need to then get momentum and and for people to share and talk about it. Oh, I totally agree. Well, we 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 always go back to connecting the app to an emotion. Um, if you can make that connection, like you know, when you want connection with your friends and family, you go on like a Facebook. You know, when you want music, you go to one service. When you want a you know visual connection, you go to Instagram. Well, for, for Gripo, we want to be the app that when you're frustrated, you pull it out of your pocket. If you can make that sort of connection, that's when you've really done something valuable. And don't worry about all those metrics because things will figure themselves out. Um, you know, the, those, those killer apps that we all know the names of, they started – growing and, and, you know, uh, virally adopting extremely fast before they had any money because they nailed that connecting the app to an emotion. What again, great insight. So, uh, in terms of the app itself, then what, uh, social features are working really well for you in, inside the app? We just tried to make it, um, extremely convenient to, help us to notify the business um, when a user has you know feedback for them so we've connected uh facebook twitter uh, in, uh not so much instagram pinterest um and google plus and just made it an option and we do a lot of a b testing in terms of how that sharing takes place but i'll tell you the thing that's been most effective for us is we default the the twitter share text so we give them a suggestion on how to contact a company effectively. And we even took it to the next level where we meticulously went through and we cataloged all the Twitter accounts of major brands that are dedicated to customer service. So a lot of people don't realize that like McDonald's has a Twitter account, but if you tweet at it, you're never gonna get a response because they're just too big and they don't that account doesn't handle customer service. But if you go to reach out McDonald's, they have a you know a staff dedicated to responding to issues. We default that into the tweets that people share. And that's really special because every time someone tweets uh, from Gripo kind of mentioning they just submitted a complaint, a little bell rings over at the McDonald's customer service desk and they know, hey, we can go check it out. So that's a feature that's, you know, you can't just throw splash sharing features all over. You really got to think about how are they valuable? You know, people don't share for fun. They share because there's a reason to share. So you have to give them a reason. Yes. And I have witnessed this firsthand because uh, I've had a number of uh, complaints. Uh, in fact, I, I was spending a little bit of time living in Dubai and uh, a hotel over there. And they were incredibly rude. I <laughs> just I wanted to complain. So I took to Twitter. And luckily, 
uh, I, I needed a Gripo feature because uh, you have to do a lot of research to find out the, the right hashtag, uh, the right at uh, symbol to, to use, the mention. Uh, but I uh, complained and literally within 10 minutes I had a response and it made me feel great. It was like, oh my goodness, they're, they're listening to me. And, and we went back and we used their services again. And that's because they had a dedicated team that were on top of that stuff. And so I can imagine like that feature there within your app is, is going to be your killer feature. It, it really is. It really is. And so t- talking about killer features, we think we got a couple of others lined up, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is there any, uh, can you talk about those yet? So these are potential things you're working on in the pipeline. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one that's really exciting for us. Um, it's the, uh, basically the ability to kick off a customer service ticket for a business right in Twitter. So one of the difficulties about Twitter is that it's super convenient for getting the, the complaint started, but facilitating the actual conversation is really frustrating in, in, four, in 140 character bursts. And then Twitter's constantly changing the dynamic where you're sometimes you're doing things publicly, sometimes you're doing it through DM and then you have to follow each other and literally half the conversations fall off because of that. So by kicking off a customer service ticket and saying, here, click this link and let's, let's take this offline into Gripo. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really powerful and we can even automate how that works. So like if certain hashtags are, you know, included in a tweet, the business can kind of automatically take the conversation offline very easily. And we think that that's like the evolution of social care is starting in Twitter, but using that to aggregate data and then put it into an environment that's optimized for customer service, something like Gripo. I could talk to you all day. It's just, it sounds a one, like that's a great feature and uh, I'm going to be using this app regularly. Uh, how international is it, do you think? Because uh, obviously you're based in the US, but is it, I'm based here in the UK at the moment. Uh, how how international is it growing? You know, we do get complaints um, out, outside of the States regularly. In fact, I, I would definitely say that the UK is, is our next, you know, place that <laughs> yeah. we're we're gonna head we're to. a nation of whingers that's why <laughs> well yeah you know and i, I it's think the weather I man think... it's the weather it's uh, constantly raining over here and uh, we just have nothing but to complain <laughs> it's the only joy that we get sure well who knows i mean um but i don't know what what causes it but i, I definitely think that the uk if you look at the statistics they're doing a lot of customer service on social media and um and I, I think we have a, a couple of good relationships over there with some companies who might help us run with it. And just, I think you do, like anytime you have a platform, you have to customize it to the to the area where the people are using it. And um, usually vocabulary and slang and everything like that, it all matters. So uh, UK would be next. And um, and I think we'll just go for the, go from there. Uh, one of the things that's important, you know, you have the, we manage these large business lists, these big brands. If you, if you kind of um, mess up that database too much and you just squeeze too much in there, you know, you, you start to search for McDonald's and then you've got 55 variations of McDonald's and it just uh, it gets too out of control. So probably separate portals for each country that we're in, um, separate variations and, and, and looking to, to get into the UK soon. Yes, well, I'm sure it'll be a big market for you because we've got a lot of stuff to complain about, as I said. So, uh, uh, you know, Mike, this has been wonderful. We're getting towards the end of the interview. Um, I just want to wish you all the best with this app. How, I mean, you've been very forthcoming with sharing, you know, your experience, the launch, uh, all the the specifics about that to really help us out. And uh, so I want to thank you for that. How best can we reach out and connect with you? 
Um, well, the best way is probably to just reach out through Gripo. We've got a contact page there, and I'm actively managing that with our other co-founders. So that's gripo.com slash contact. And, um, you know, we always welcome feedback of all types. Also through our Twitter account, which is just at Gripo, uh, G-R-I-P-E-O. And um, absolutely, I, I, I really thank you uh, for the opportunity to, to talk, Paul, because, you know, it's, it is something that, you know, getting into it, you're, you become passionate about it. So I like to, to talk with like-minded individuals, share my feedback and, and hear feedback from others. So thanks for the opportunity today. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on. And we'll be sort of following your journey because I know that currently you've got a, a team of nine, nine dedicated people. And I'm sure that's going to be growing as Gripo grows. And so whenever you are in need of app developers, uh, we've got an apps to tribe here. So, you know, please do come back and, and we can we can help you grow. But in the meantime, it just leaves me to say thanks for joining us on the App Guy podcast. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at onemob.com. The App Guy Podcast.